We are uh, starting a new kind of series that's going to sit between this, uh, this time as we move toward, uh, toward Christmas. And you know how rarely I get good uh, sermon titles. I have a really great sermon title. I'm super proud of it today, so I'm bragging about it. Are you ready? It's great. It's so great. Just, all right. It's so great. It's actually really tough to say. I worked on it. Uh, this is the incongruously stringed gift. Thank you. I'm quite proud of it. I love it. It's super ridiculous. <laughs> but I think it says something very important and very true about the gospel. So if you think about this, you think about this phrase for a second, the incongruously stringed gift. You think about incongruity, things that don't match up our experiences somehow sideways, and yet there are strings attached to it. We have relationships like this all the time. I'm immediately uh, thinking of, of marriage, um, where you have this experience, maybe early on at least, if it's not there anymore, early on, couples are like, oh, you're so great, I don't deserve you. Oh, no, you're so great, I don't deserve you. And it kind of like goes on really disgustingly for a while, right? Eventually that kind of dies away. But at first, you're with me, like we have that kind of, you think like I don't deserve the love that this person is giving, and yet they're giving it to me. And then a few months into your relationship, you suddenly realize, oh, there's all kinds of strings attached to this. And then you get married and you're like, there's all kinds of strings attached to this. And hopefully your marriage experience has been something like you still look at your spouse and say, oh, they're so great, I don't deserve their love. And yet we recognize the attachments that connect us. We, I think of children and our, our, our own experience of having children. We give immense amount of love to this little, you know, cherub-like parasite that just drains and drains and we just keep on giving it, right? Keep on giving it. And it's, it's incongruous. They don't deserve it. What do kids do to earn it? Nothing. They're just there and we feel the need to help, right? And so there's this gift that's being given all the time and yet there's deep strings that are attached to our relationship so much that the parent and child relationship continues on all the way through life. So my point is simply to say that your experience in life includes all kinds of incongruously stringed gifts. And the gospel is very similar to it. In fact, we're going to get into Galatians. and We're only going to spend four weeks in Galatians, so I can't read all the verses, but I want to encourage you to read all the verses. It's, it's an, amazing, an amazing little letter. Um, I'd encourage you to turn there. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles to Galatians. If you didn't bring one, um, grab one in the pew in front of you. It's page 972. You can see it. If you're not a reader, I'm going to put it up here, and you can just kind of listen as it, as it helps. Um, but everything that kind of emanates from this letter describes a gift that God is giving to us that we don't quite deserve. It doesn't quite match up with our experience, and yet there are deep attachments that are connecting us to God and to one another. So Paul opens his letter to this church in Galatia, this church in Galatia is this region in, um, in Asia, a minor, where there's all kinds of little churches, and Paul is writing to them, and he says to them this as the letter opens up. He says, Paul... An apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all of the, the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. And all the church said, So I'm astonished, astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel. He goes on, but we'll, 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 we'll land here and we can kind of see this. Like I said, it's a, very, it's, it's, it's a short book. It doesn't take you much to read all of it, but this is where we'll focus today. If you do decide to read all of it, let me just say as an aside, there's this amazing video of Chance the Rapper reading the book of Galatians. So if you want to know how long it takes, it takes 29, 27 minutes and 39 seconds to read the entire thing, and you can watch Chance the Rapper do it for you. It's awesome. You should do it. He'd never read the book before, so you're actually watching an incredibly popular secular artist, read the book of Galatians for the first time. Go on YouTube. It's worth seeing. All right. Back to the regularly scheduled program. Commercial over. It's a short book. That's the point. You can read through it really quickly. But immediately we're, we're thrown here into an, a, a religious argument where we get a little bit in the early on and then immediately without thanksgiving or other, you know, other platitudes that generally get in, in, in put into letters, Paul begins by saying, I'm shocked. I am shocked that you are abandoning it, deserting it, which has connotations of betrayal. You're betraying Jesus. You're walking away from it. There's other... Uh, other connotations here of people distorting the gospel of Christ. They're taking this thing that was good. Remember the word gospel just means the declaration of good news. They have taken good news and they have twisted it. They've distorted it. They've perverted it so much that it's no longer good news. In fact, it's no longer good news to anybody. And those of you who have even accepted it will no longer find value in it if you take this road. So we're, we're introduced to a very serious subject that all circles around how important it is for us to understand what we mean when we say gospel, what we mean when we say good news, what we mean when we say the message and meaning of Scripture, of God, of Jesus, of the power of the Holy Spirit, all of these things. And so this gets us into this idea of the incongruity of our relationship with God because it comes as a gift. Notice that immediately as he opens up, there's so much love and grace in these first few, few lines. This good news about Jesus who has called Paul from what he was before and made him somebody that is useful now to Jesus. You remember Paul's story. I'll just, he gives it, as if you were to keep reading it, he gives it a little bit. But remember with me for a second who Paul was. Paul was this rising rock star in the ultra-conservative camps. So much so that he is a blight to the Christian church. As he sees Christians a complete and total corruption of pure Jewishness, he seeks to destroy them. He kills the fathers. He imprisons the mothers and the children. He is so brutal and effective in his persecution that they say, Paul, we need you to take this inquisition north. So he, mo- he hops on this trail and heads north to Damascus, right, to find more Christians to kill. And on that road, he is struck blind and hears a voice from somewhere that says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, dude, I'm blind. What? Who? What? Where? I'm, what's, I'm, I'm on the ground trying to figure out what happened to me. 
And he says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. Isn't that interesting? Just for a second, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my children? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Like our connection to God is so deep that when we experience pain or suffering on behalf of Jesus himself, it is Jesus who experiences the pain so much so that he can say, why, Paul, are you persecuting me? Because when you hurt them, you hurt me. That's how much God loves his people. Do you see how great and gracious and incongruous the relationship is because Paul is the enemy of Jesus and on his way to do more dastardly deeds against Jesus and against his church, Jesus chooses him to be his mouthpiece. Not to judge him, not to kill him, not to condemn him, not to throw him into the pits of hell, but to say, Paul, I want to show you something you don't seem to know a thing about, grace. And this is the experience of the Apostle Paul. So when he writes to these Christians and he says, listen, you're abandoning the thing that has brought us life. He's pleading with them to understand the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is in its incongruity. It's in how much it doesn't match up. It's in how good God is and how broken we are. He says here, what did Jesus do? He gave himself for our brokenness, for our sins, for our errors, for our, for our ignorance, for our hate and our lust and our jealousy and our greed, for all the things that are breaking and tearing and burning us down. Jesus died that we might see love and pursue something greater and experience the fullness of God's grace. And this is the power of the gospel, right? This is what he says. He says, what happened? Jesus died for you. You might have memorized this when you were a child, Romans 5, 8, right? While we were still sinners, before I graced this planet, if you want to call it that, and began ruining it with everybody else, Jesus died knowing that I would need his grace. That's a powerful word, isn't it? It's a powerful word that the introduction to God is always one of mercy. We've been talking about being unbalanced, right? This unbalanced thing. We need to be balanced because uh, we're too messed up to, <laughs> to not be. But isn't it wonderful how incredibly imbalanced God is? God is completely imbalanced. If you sort of think about the scales of God, you have justice on one side and maybe you have mercy on the other. Isn't it good news that God always seems to wait so hard toward mercy? Always waiting here, always pushing down the scales and saying, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm just going to push it a little more down. And he does this over and over and over again so that you will hear, and like a mother who quietly calls her child who's throwing the fit on the floor, come to me that I might comfort you. So is God calling out to us. And Paul says, if you forget this and you replace it with something else, the news stops being good, and it starts being work. And I know all y'all want more work, right? Can I get a witness? No, right? No, dead silence in the room. 
Paul is pushing us to see how totally and utterly incongruous the balances are weighted in our favor because God's love is that big. And yet it is not a stringless gift. Sometimes you'll hear people use the phrase, the free gift of grace. Um, This comes from translation that we have four verses in the book of Romans. Some translations will add free gift of grace. The word free does not appear in, in, in the Greek translation, in the Greek actual manuscripts. But we have translated the word free in to help understand that it isn't a tit-for-tat relationship where, like, if I'm good, God gives me good things. If I'm bad, God punishes me. Right? That, that betrays the incongruity of the relationship. So we've added, some translators added the word free to help you understand that when we say gift, we really mean gift. And yet some people have taken this and swung so hard to say, well, if it's a free gift, I'll take it and walk away with it. And yet this is not what we see here. We see all kinds of strings attached. He says, how could you abandon it? How could you pervert it? How could you walk away from it? How could you change it? If it was so good and transformed your life, why would you ever change it? And so he's, he's saying there's all kinds of strings attached. In fact, we experience that, as I said, all the time. If one of you says to me, hey, I'd like to buy you lunch this week. And I say, well, that'd, be trans- that'd be great, thank you. That'd be fantastic. And you hand me a gift card for $10 and walk away from me. That'd be a strange interaction. I'll take it. But <laughs> it would be bizarre. It would be very strange. No, there's a string that's attached to it, isn't it? You say, hey, I'd like to buy you lunch this week. And I know, because we all belong to the same social order, that what you mean is I would like for you to go out to lunch with me. I will buy your lunch and we'll spend time together. And I would much rather have that than you just hand me a gift card and walk away. Because the relationship is better than the meal. And so my point is to say that we have stringed relationships all the time, and those are better. It is better that I'm attached to my wife because it protects me from all kinds of horrible mistakes. Lots and lots. She'll tell you all about it. Just you talk to her afterwards. It protects us sexually, it protects our families, it protects our emotions, it forces us to to become friends, it forces us to, through conflict resolution, come to new ways of understanding each other, it forces us to be patient, it forces us to be humble, it forces us to live. Those strings change you. That's why when God gives you gifts, there's always strings attached to it. He's pleading with these gifts to exist in your lives so that they transform you and make you greater make you better. No, you see that? What does he say here? He says, Jesus died. He died to deliver us from this present evil age. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say he died that you could go to heaven. He died so you could have eternal life. He died for all of those future reasons. All of those future reasons are good and true, but here he says, I want you to recognize that right now matters too. Right now is changed too. If you really encounter grace and mercy and you see this incongruous relationship of God's great gifts in the world and great love to you and you respond to it, it's going to attach you to God in a real and living way. So much so that Jesus says, it's, freedom looks like this. It looks like you attaching yourself to me because I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you attach yourself to me, I can feed life into you. But if you cut yourself off from me, you die. 
because I am the life of the world. The scriptures call us to recognize the present tenseness of God's grace so that it can change us right here and right now. Paul summarizes it in this way. If you, kind of, if you have your Bibles open, you can see it's down there in verses uh, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You could just see Paul hammering again and again and again this theme of God's grace as it's been displayed in Jesus Christ. Because what he's going to combat is the error that they're making of replacing the good news with something else. And he says, listen, you can't do that. And so he's reminding them on the front end of the power of grace, of the power of the gospel, of the incongruity of the relationship, but the strings that are attached to it so we can recognize the beauty and power of the gift and be transformed by it. We would be tempted to think that this is a new thing that God does, but it's not. It's not new at all. In fact, God from the very beginning planned and acted like this. The, the, Isaiah's, the, the prophecy out of Isaiah talks about, this is my favorite prophecy concerning Jesus, but he's talking about Isaiah's having this vision of the world being transformed and changed and he begins to talk about this agent that's going to step into the world, this person that's coming, who's going to set things right. And the vision of Israel is that he's going to show up and he's going to make Israel great again. Make Israel great again. You can make a hat out of that. That's what they're convinced. That's what they're convinced will happen. In fact, they're so convinced, you might remember the disciples, as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, they say, when will you bring back the kingdom of Israel? Make Israel great again, right? What is interesting about God is even though they are God's people and even though they are God's nation, he says, it is too light a thing that I should raise up my holy servant to just bring back the tribes of Jacob, just to preserve Israel, just to make them great again. No, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. That God's plan from the very beginning, from the very inception, was that his grace would expand beyond his people and wash the world light with light and love and beauty, all of these things. Andrew, can you switch the thing for me? So this is the passage that comes next as he's going and talking about Israel and they begin to think that they may be forgotten or left behind. Things are really dark and things are really bad. And Maybe that speaks to you. Maybe things are really dark and things are really bad in your life. Things are hard. But this is, this is what he follows up as he talks about his servant coming and spreading light, spreading grace and salvation to the ends of the earth. He reminds his people this. He says... Can a woman forget her nursing child? Held close is pretty impossible. Can a woman forget the child nursing at her breast? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. A mother might forget. 
but I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. I love that. This week as you're going about, you notice the palms of your hand. Think of God and think of him engraving your name because so great is his love for you. As we come to conclusion, we, we have opportunities for you to take a hold of this grace and do something with it. Opportunities that mean you could come down front, you could talk with me, pray, make confession. You might want to be a little more private and meet with the elders back there uh, by the coffee bar. They'll be there. They want to pray with you. We've got a room set aside. We'll talk to you about anything you are wrestling with, but make grace your possession today because it is the gift that God desperately wants to give you. Let's praise his name and thank him for it as we stand and sing this song.